wanted to take a second and recognize my sponsors this week. You know, Gay Lisby's Million Dollar Arbitrage as Edge and List Group. That's a mouthful. It is. But guess what? It's a great opportunity. You know, you can build a big Amazon business. You don't need a lot of capital when you start. I mean, we all started, you know, well, most of us started selling books. And then you move into retail arbitrage. That is the place that you can turn your money the fastest in online arbitrage. And so by having that skill set, by learning those skill sets, you can get the best bang for your buck. And so Gay's group will help you learn online arbitrage. It's it's more than just a list service. They're going to give you a whole bunch of actionable inventory every single day, right? Monday through Friday. However, there's also a mentorship that goes on. And that mentorship is so important because sometimes it's great to know what to buy, but it's more important to understand why to buy it. Yeah, it's that you know, learning to fish or just getting fed. You know, you really want to learn because ultimately you want to strike it on your own. And this is a great way to do it. So how about seven days free trial? How about a free trial? Right. Very, very cool. So it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash is a mouthful. The word momentum. You got to use a hyphen and you put in the word arbitrage. So it's amazingfreedom.com forward slash momentum dash arbitrage. And you're going to get a free trial in Gay's group. You got to tell her I sent you, right? I'll also have the link in the episode. But it's such a great opportunity. She is amazing, amazing. I'm in that group, so you'll see me there. An amazing, amazing person who's there to answer your questions, who's there to help lead you and help guide you. And that's what Gay does. She does it every single day. The testimonials are real. Go take a look. You will be blown away. And again, it's a free trial. I have the link on this episode. Reach in. You know, Seller Labs, uh, Jeff Cohen and the team, they have blown me away with this scope project. We use this all the time for our business. We do a lot of uh, private label. We also do a lot of wholesale and wholesale bundles, you know, or multi-packs, that kind of thing, which a lot of people do. But we use um, scope to help us figure out what are the keywords. And so it's really simple. You basically figure out where you're going to sell, what you're going to sell, what category, find that like product, find the top couple sellers, and find their keywords. Boom, magic, there you go. You copy the best because it's working. And guess what? That's a proof of concept, and Scope allows you to do that. So it's sellerlabs.com forward slash scope. Sellerlabs.com forward slash scope. Use the code word momentum, and you're going to get couple days free trial and you're going to save a little bit of money and you're going to get some free keywords it's worth every penny i'm in that group come and check me out sellerlabs.com forward slash scope again use the word momentum solutions for e-commerce karen locker great 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 group i've been using them for a long time I guess it's over two years and I'm in there and I pay just like everybody else. Yes, she's a sponsor of my show, but she makes me pay and I got the same $50 discount that you can get. Oh, by the way, you're going to get that through my link and my link only. Oh, and you're also going to get the free inventory health analysis. Great way to start 2018. Get your inventory in line and Karen will help you do that. We use them for everything. I mean, basically, uh, you know, long-term storage fees coming up. Guess what? She'll evaluate, she'll make some recommendations, and I'll say, yep, check, 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 take these out, this, return, blah, 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 and magically it's done. I love it, love it, love it. I love the fact that they take and get rid of stranded inventory for me. I see it in there, and then next time I go in and it's gone. Love it, love it, love it. Got an IP infringement? She's going to help you work your way through that. This is the kind of service that you get from Karen Locker. That's solutions for the number four e-commerce solutions for e-commerce.com forward slash momentum right so you got a forward slash momentum and you're going to save fifty dollars a month 600 bucks a year by just clicking that link she pays me i don't want to hide that i never do i'm always upfront about that but it doesn't cost you anything additional and you're going to get that inventory health report the only way you get that is through my link solutions the number four e-commerce.com forward slash Momentum. Welcome to the e-commerce momentum podcast, where we focus on the people, the products, and the process of e-commerce selling today. Here's your host, Stephen Peterson. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. This is episode two hundred eighty-five. 
Mike Resendez, Reezy Resells. Man, oh man, I am pumped. I just, th- the more I talk to this guy, I mean, I've gotten to meet him in face, uh, person a couple times, but he just, there's something, his vibe, he just, he just emits such a positive can-do attitude. There's nothing stopping him. There's no excuses. I'm going to adapt. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to succeed at all costs. And man, oh man, what a, what a great a great story, great guy. And I am just so pumped. Um, we really address uh, these big changes in Amazon, these book uh, specifically to books because he's a big bookseller too. And really, I think he does a great job explaining it um, and his analysis and others that he's talked to and brings it all together. And I think we end up at a really cool place and the world is not ending. There are other options. Let's get into the podcast. All right. Welcome back to the e-commerce momentum podcast. Very, very excited about today's guest because we have a celebrity amongst us, truly somebody who has embraced who he is, is never going to apologize for who he is. I don't know if it defines him. It clearly has um, sculpted him. I think that's the right word. Mike Resendez, Reezy Resells. Welcome, Michael. Hey, what's up, Stephen? I'm not I'm not a celebrity. Uh, you know what? Um, <laughs> you have definitely created a following. You know, let's let's speak. Let's call it what it is. I know you're embarrassed by this, but people connect to your story. They do, yeah. Because no, you know, I mean, I mean, life's hard. Yeah, but, I just I just did a talk in Canada about personal branding, and the whole talk was about about sell your story, not your product, right? Because people connect with stories, so I I understand that. But I like to tell people I'm just a guy who spends way too much time on the internet. <laughs> you do. So this is the second time you've been on. You were episode number sixty. I had to go back and look. Number sixty nine. A little over two years ago. That's crazy. Yeah. It just makes me feel old or feel like oh, this dude. time goes, time got, goes by too Kelly Loach will appreciate this. I've got socks older than you. Here's a funny story. <laughs> Kelly sends me a note. He's like, Steve, did you like the socks? I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, you had mentioned on one or 10 or 15 of your podcasts, I have socks older than somebody. It's a silly reference I use. He mailed me socks. I'm like, dude, I get so many packages I never noticed. It's terrible. I feel terrible. <laughs> so I do have socks older than you. I could use more socks. Somebody wants to sell me so- send me more socks, even though I sell socks. Yeah. So I should be careful with that. Um, so <laughs> so back then, you were. I mean, you were you were selling multiple things, but you were a bookseller. I mean, you had scaled a, a successful book business. You and a partner. Uh, you had multiple locations. You were really really you know building. Uh, groups of books together, bundling your own bundles, and really having success with it. And that was a couple of years ago. And you were selling uh, sneakers and stuff like that too. But right, now, I just got into selling sneakers, I yeah, think. I think your business has evolved a little bit, but I had to have you back on because of the big changes that are going on in Amazon. So why don't we do this? Let's catch up to where we are, where you were selling up until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what's going on in your life. And then I specifically want to talk to you related to books and then other merchandise, because I know you sell that too, related okay. to these material changes, because these aren't big changes, right? These are, right. Fun- these are, I call it a pivot point. This is a pivot point in your business, in most people's business. Right. So um, a lot of stuff is exactly the same. I was just getting into shoes on episode 69. Two years later now, I sell much more shoes. Um, I buy... I probably buy like about a hundred pairs of shoes a week minimum as, as much as 200 pairs. And I still do books, but not as much as I did before. We lost one of our book locations. We just lost supply. Um, it just, we just can't get it anymore. So well, we did shut demand, it down. Did demand change? Um, I think, I think demand is really similar. I okay. just think that there's, there's more competition and we'll, we'll hmm. go into more about the, um, it's more uh, the the booksellers are cannibalizing each other due to the pricing, right? So, right. and that's because of what we're going to talk about in a minute with Amazon's fees and stuff. So, um, still selling books, still operating in three locations, selling much more shoes, and now I do a lot of online arbitrage using tactical arbitrage and more retail arbitrage than I did at that time. Um, but pretty much it's the same. I'm admittedly heavily distracted from my business because of 
um, what we talked about before the call, just being so um, having shiny object syndrome, wanting mm -hmm. to do, do I start wholesale? Do I start private label? Well, let me do this and this. And I do a lot of merch by Amazon. So I'm, I'm in tier 1000 on merch by Amazon, um, have 800 shirts listed. I probably sell between like five and 10 a day right now. Um, my best day, I sold over 30 shirts in one day. So I'm still learning that process. Um, fortunately, I have a designer for that and I have recently hired an uploader. So that is, you know, that was taking me one to two hours a day, every single day. And so that getting off my plate is like a huge uh, relief. Okay, well, don't, 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 can... let's not go past that because that's a good point. I haven't had anybody talk about that. Um, so you had a, a point in your business, something that you kind of enjoyed, and you got into it, and it was going well, and clearly you've done well with it. But now it's gotten to the point it's pretty large, pretty significant. So you outsource right. the design. I don't know if you ever did the design yourself or you, did you always outsource For a that? very short period of time, I did simple like text-based designs myself, okay. but I'm, I'm not skilled, so I would have to look every, every time I wanted to do anything, I would have to look up on Google how to do this in Photoshop. And that's just time suck. And if that's not your thing, and there's some people that just comes natural and they love that, that's their lane. And so you outsource that very smart. The uploader, uh, I've, I've had an uploader for a long time. So tell me what was the pivot point for you to do that? What does it roughly cost you, if you don't mind? And then what time you saved again, just so we can qualify and count, uh, quantify? Sure. So um, another thing that I kind of neglected to mention is between episode 69 and now, my wife started going back to school full time. Oh. <laughs> and, um, and, and we don't vaccinate our children. And California passed the, the no vaccination public school rule. So we were forced into, which actually we like a lot now, homeschooling my, mm. my now six-year-old daughter. So my wife goes to school five days a week, and I'm home with my six-year-old, and we do homeschooling five days a week. So my time is, is super at a premium, right? I only have like one day a week where I can go out of town to source stuff, and that's, you know— that's at the cost of, of uh, not hanging out with my wife while she's home for the weekend. Right. But the, the uh, only two days that you get to see her, right? I mean, that's right. Exactly. I would have to take one of them and go out of town. Mm -hmm. And my daughter also has, you know, thankful to somewhat of the success I've had. My daughter's able to do, you know, all kinds of activities, gymnastics, art class, um, just tons of different. She has like an activity every single day, ballet, uh, tap and jazz, all kinds of stuff. Right. And so my schedule is kind of based around that. And um, the merch by Amazon was becoming, you know, now I can do 50 uploads a day. I'm soon to be put into the tier 2000, which is 100 uploads a day. And 50 uploads a day was taking me one to two hours a day to upload, depending on, you know, did I have 50 really similar shirts in the same niche or did I have, you know, 10 of these, 10 of those? You know, that takes longer if they're different, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just found myself many nights I would be, tired and I would be at the computer racing the clock, you know, from 11 p.m. after everyone went to bed to midnight trying to get, you know, trying to get my uploads in before the clock turned over because Amazon runs on California time. And um, it just became too stressful. Um, and I think I'm finally at that point in my life where I realized that I'm like, look, I want to grow. A, I don't want to work for my business. I want it to work for me. I don't want to service my business. I want it to service me. And so one to two hours, I don't have too many hours. I might have only, you know, four to, to eight hours a day that I can actually be productive. And that's way too much of it for me to be using, you know, 12 to 25% of it to, to mm, get one certain task done. So what a good way to look at it. What, what I'm paying right now for my uploader, I pay, um, I have a Venezuelan VA that I got, um, as a, from a referral from my graphic designer who's also Venezuelan. It's her friend. And I'm paying her $2.50, $2.50 American an hour to upload shirts. And she's only on day – like this is the first week that I hired her, Stephen. And um, she's only on day four or five. And it's taking her – it took her four hours the first day to upload 50 designs, which is not bad. That's still only $0.20 cents a design. And the next two days after that, it only took her two hours to upload designs. So two hours is only 10 cents a design, which I'm pretty ecstatic about. And if she gets even faster, it'll be less than that. But, but for, listen to the way you're describing it. So you broke it down into a 
true variable cost, right? I mean, in theory, right. right? I mean, it's a real variable cost. When you scale to that next level, you can have a plan. I mean, to me, it's a genius move. I mean, it's exactly the right way to do it. And you got to a point where it was painful, so it kind of forced you to do it. Right? You had to make right. a decision. That's honestly, that's how I work because I am, I'm the world's worst planner. I'm the world's worst scheduler. I'm always like five minutes late for anything. <laughs> and I, I just, I don't know if that's because how I grew up coastal California or whatever, but, um, I never, I'm, I'm just like a creature. I'm like, if I'm comfortable, I'm less likely to change it up. But when I start losing money or when I start getting really frustrated is when I finally, I just figure it out. Right. Like I, for example, I never, uh, I never knew how to juggle my entire life. And then one day something just happened and I, I think my friend was juggling some oranges or something. And I was like, I could do that too. Give me the damn oranges. And you know, in about 10 minutes I learned how to juggle and it's just, it, I was thinking about that the other day and I was like, why, you know, I always wanted to juggle, which it sounds super trivial. It's just like a little thing, but why did I wait? you know, so long to figure it out. And when I really put my mind to it, it took me 10 minutes to figure it out. And I think a lot of my growth mm. comes from situations like that. Mm, this is getting deep here. I, I'm going to pause on it again, because I think this is so applicable to so many of us, right, who've gotten into all these different things. And, you know, is this, this is weird, right? These big giant changes that Amazon and eBay both have made some big changes this past two weeks, but Amazon specific... It's going to force us to make changes that, quite frankly, yep. will probably make us better businesses. Why does it have to? Why do we have to have that event to force us? I mean, that's really the art, right? The real outliers, they don't need that event. And that's what we all got to strive for is to figure out how to not make that event make us make a choice. Make a choice because it's time. You're mature enough. You're ready to go. In our pre-call, we were talking about some of the big changes that you may, you're may you going to be making because of right. you know, the input from others, right? Looking at them and, and watching the really successful people say, you know, Michael, you've got to outsource your business, right? I mean, that's hard. Right. It's yeah, hard to hear, definitely. isn't it? Because you should be able to do no, it all. It's it's huge. Even, even with things like YouTube, which I really love doing, and... I specifically love editing videos more than filming wow. them or whatever, but it takes me so long to do it. It takes me, hold on, there's a truck. It takes me like four to four to 10 hours, depending on how intricate I make the video. And if I want to release three videos a week, I, you know, I only have, like I mentioned, a certain yeah. amount of time. I can't be using it to edit video, even though I like it so much. YouTube just doesn't pay the bills. So it doesn't make sense for me to to do that with my, you know, like I got to exercise, I got other stuff to do. Right? So in essence, so, you don't do it then. And that's the problem. No, no, I, I outsourced it to, um, right. to or you wouldn't do it or you just wouldn't do it. Well, I, I would continue, but I would definitely have less videos and right, right. YouTube, YouTube is a game of, um, of more, more right. videos, more. Content. If you mm -hmm. only do one video a week, you know, you have 52 chances for one of them to go viral or to, you know, to blow up. If you do two a week, you know, 200% chances. You have to do, that's why people who do daily videos are much more likely to do well on YouTube because they're just having so many at bats. You know what I mean? Well, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so I outsourced that to the Philippines for $4 an hour. And um, really, I just, you know, it's just, you just have to understand what your value is. You know, maybe even though I like making videos, I am. I'm the star of the show, like without trying to sound too douchey or whatever. And that's my job is to be the guy on the camera, not necessarily to be the guy editing the video, even even if I really like it. You know, the, the consumer, the audience doesn't give a shit like there's, uh, you know, like if I make it as good as I want or if I let the editor do it, his might be 80 or 70 percent as good as mine. But the viewer can't tell the difference. And right. even now, I still get comments from people that are like, wow your editing is really stepping up. Like you're getting good at editing. And I'm just like, that I know hurts. that I've had, I had videos that were way, that are way better that are older, but people don't watch every single one, right, you know? Right. So, um, it's just not worth it to, it's, uh, I don't know the name of it, but there's a lot of scenarios like that. People, they are sticklers. You worry about this, you worry about that when really you just need to get things done, you know? And, and I'm starting to learn that I would rather accomplish more things at a much lower um, percentage of greatness than to accomplish, you know, 
a couple things at like monumental, like Zeus level of greatness. Like, cause that's not what's going to get you noticed or bring you like overall success. What will is, you know, a billion baby steps. Well, and the other thing to think about too, I mean, I agree a hundred percent. The other thing to think about too is technology will catch up and will change. The way you're running your business today is not the same as it was two years ago when we talked. Tactical arbitrage is a good example. Didn't exist two years right. ago. And so now all of a sudden, or maybe it was just coming out, but now Alex has, Alex has modified that. I have to have him back on. He's modified that, you know, so many different times. It is night and day from what, when I had it, I still have it when I, from what it was to what it is today. And so in the editing world, in the technology world, the software I'm using today for my podcast, I don't get complaints about my noise ever again because the software is amazing, right? It wasn't there two years ago. And so I think that that's part of it is that it will advance and eventually it'll catch up to you and then you'll get to make a choice again. You know, what do you want? And then again, maybe, you know, I always think of Joel Osteen, who's a, a preacher, and he always said he was a technical guy behind his father. And he always loved that world, and now he's out in front because he was forced to. And now he's a right. preacher, right? And he's a really good preacher. So it's just interesting um, to how they get there. All right, so you outsourced again. So I think we're getting a common theme from Michael that outsourcing seems to make your life easier. Right. Fair? I mean— yeah, definitely. You have to, and I, I've known this, and and like I said, we all know. Um, it. <laughs> We're yeah, all guilty. It's just, it's just I never, I never. It's so there's so many levels to it, Stephen. Like I up at, like when I last spoke with you, I think I was still sourcing books myself manually. I'm not sure. It might have been yeah, you right were. around that time, but I broke my foot in a uh, semi drunken bachelor party skateboarding accident, and Gosh. I was I was forced to outsource the sourcing, which I never thought I could outsource. Right. And Nobody can be as good I, as you. I, Nobody would ever I, be as yeah. good as you, right? Right. I wake up the day after I broke my foot, and I'm just looking at my giant purple eggplant foot, and I'm just like, well, um, I'm not making any money today. Like, this can't go on, you know? Either I can wait three months. Three months is 25%, 25, what, 25% of a year, right? Yep. So it's mm-hmm. like, that's that's intense. That's like as an entrepreneur, you can really quantify that and be like, no, this isn't going to work. Right. And so um, I took one of my shippers and I trained them to to start sourcing for me. And, and it worked out fine. It was easy. It, I don't know why I was waiting for. Well, uh, the, the the enemy of good is perfect. Right. Is that the phrase? I think it is because. Uh, uh, or the enemy of perfect is good. Well, the yeah, basic one, point is you're waiting for perfect, right. and you're never going to get there, right? And and right. so that's that's the key. And 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 what does that tell you though? I mean, is that a fear? I think that's what it is. It's a big fear about letting go of that control. And so far, you gave us three shining examples where you've been able to completely. You really had no choice but to make those decisions, or really, it was going to be painful. And every one of them has worked out. How about documentation? How, how serious is your documentation when you're outsourcing these processes? Um, it's, well, once I know I want to outsource it, then I document it. And okay. so that's, that's pretty easy. Like, um, I just recently training the uploader, for example, I just recorded myself, screen recorded myself doing it, uploading 50 shirts while speaking into the microphone. And that was the only training I gave her. Here you go. Watch this video and ask me any questions that you have. And are you ready to go? Okay, here's the keys. And then let me know when you're done so I can check your work. Oh, and okay, fix this, fix that. Like she uploaded some um, some Easter shirts and she put the word holiday in the keywords. And I was like, no one's going to search for holiday. Swap that out for the word uh, bunny. Hmm. And and so you know, just little stuff like so that. So how long but did that take to record the video? Me, uh, an hour and a half to record okay. the video, and and then I just gave it to her, and um, and she she speaks, she can understand English, but she's too uncomfortable. Like she didn't want to go live video chat with me because her English is not that good. So it, it's if we're if we're chatting, like I'll talk to her. I'll have my microphone on, but she types back, right? Okay. So, um, but it a works. little bit of a lang- yeah. There's a little bit of a language barrier. Sometimes things get misspelled. Like my designer is also Venezuelan. She had a shirt that says uh, 
I keep spitting beer in my mouth. And I had to send it back to her and say, this is spilling. It's supposed to be <laughs> spilling beer in my mouth. Because maybe she did spit beer. And, and, you know, you think about this, though. I guess my point with this is that you spend an hour on the – an hour on the the process, documenting the process. Maybe even give it two hours total. Right. That if you did every module of your business, I had Trent Deersmith on, and he is a process guy. He created a course, and he said, "You know, Steve, the reason I created the course, it took us a few minutes because we've had that course for our staff forever, and so we just used the same things that we use for our staff training and put it out to the public, and boom, everybody bought. And so that documentation is the next key." To, and, and it's really the key into what we're going into now, which is I want to talk about Amazon changes. That outsourcing, that documentation, all that process, we're at a place, at a pivot. I think it's a, a why in the road that you have to make a choice and you're going to have to make a decision. If you're a bookseller, it's it's – I remember telling somebody, tell me if you remember this. When I was a bookseller, heavy, in the old days, we used to send our books to this one warehouse and we got a book – rate so when we were shipping our books it would go in a box of just books and we got a dirt cheap rate to send it by ups i mean to amazon like three cents a pound or some crazy number and so at one point a couple of years ago they changed it and they said oh your books don't get a book rate they just get mi- mingled in with your sneakers or whatever right whatever was going to that warehouse. right and then all of a sudden a four pound book which used to cost 12 cents now is costing uh, probably 35 cents so a dollar 40 to send that same book in. It was an extra dollar. And you're like, ooh, okay, well, it's still worth it. I can make money. But then the fees started going up. And then the one copy of everything went away, right? Yeah, the the single single ASIN exemption went away. That was a year or two ago, right? So that was another change. That's a price increase. And now we come to this place where 180 days. Now, in book world... How many of your books, I mean, do you ever think about this? How many of your books that you send in sell within 180 days? Um, I'd 30, say like 40, 50 percent. Um, no, more. Okay. I would say like 60 to 70 percent. So okay. that's good. 20, 25 percent of my inventory is books older than six months. And a good portion of those might actually be over 12 months old. Okay. And so and, in the and past- I know because I, I just did a show with uh, Caleb on my YouTube channel right. where he, he ran all the data. He actually used my inventory health report as the analysis for the projected cost of everything. So it was really insightful. He's a genius. And so you now know what you got to do and you're going to have to make a choice, right? Suck oh, yeah, it up. I got to get the hatchet out. Right, because you could suck it up and leave them in, and how quickly will you lose money on almost every book? Right, so I'm, I'm going to go from paying approximately $4,000 twice a year in long-term storage fees to paying basically double that altogether. So I would be paying an extra, uh, extra 8000 a year in long-term storage fees, and that's not including the new $0.50 cents a month per Minimum. book that's over that's over 12 months old so that's doubling the fees without even accounting for that and then it's like okay well i don't even pay 50 cents for books so why would i pay 50 cents a month for a book it's gonna have to have a forecasted profit of you know at least like 30 dollars 20 30 dollars because me and caleb were talking about it before like during the single ace and exemption days you would pay two cents a month per book and that was it and so a year would be like 24 cents, let's just say a quarter. And if you were going to make five bucks profit off of a book, you could literally store it for 20 years until you would break even, which That's is why funny. we didn't, which is why we had 45,000 books at the FBA warehouse because we didn't give a crap. Well, now you got to care. And, and isn't the other problem that you're going to have for the next probably 18 months is every bookseller's staring at this same thing at scale. And right. they're like, they got to liquidate. So all the books you think you're going to make money on, your competitors are going to, uh, many of your competitors are going to cut their price. They have no choice. Right. So there's a whole fleet of very of popular books where some of these books you can't even make money most of the year, but you would buy them and hold on to them because you know at a certain point of the year, the demand for like, let's say like How to Kill a Mockingbird or like um, – I don't know, Moby Dick or whatever. These are bad examples. But let's just say like, you know, during school book season, 
textbook season, like school, that's required reading for schools. So there, you know, hundreds and hundreds of those copies are getting ordered. And then the price jumps up to a point where you can make a couple bucks a copy. And by then you probably have like 10 or 12 copies of it because it's super popular and you get it for a quarter. Well, now there's going to be the race to the bottom every single month. And because the the long-term storage fees are rolling monthly because what happened previously was it was once a year there was a long-term storage fee. So you could wait until maybe a week after the long-term storage fee, then send everything in and all that stuff would not get charged a one-year storage fee when the next year came around because it would only be like 11 and a half months old. And then when it finally did get charged for the one-year store, it would almost be two years old, just two weeks short of two years. And then the same thing with the six-month storage fee. It was essentially, you know, most of your books, without even doing it on purpose, were probably nine months old when they finally got charged a six-month storage fee. Well, now the oldest it's going to be is like 6.8 months old because it's going to be a rolling from when it was actually sent in, charging every single month. And that is going to cause everybody to look at their books every month. And let's say either all the time, which I think might be all the time because people are lazy, especially people who have large uh, portfolios of inventory, they don't want to like have to micromanage it so much to where they're like, okay, for two weeks, we're just going to try and get the most we can. And then the next two weeks, we're going to slash the prices down on the popular books. Like they're probably just going to leave it on slash mode all the time, which means all these books where you could actually make a couple bucks on are probably going to make you zero bucks on for the next and, couple of years. Yeah. Well, I mean, who knows? It's, it's going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Right. Um, so that that also then if you, so the answer is okay, pull your books back, crazy, put them in your garage and ship them yourself, merchant fulfill them. But in yeah. that scenario, you're telling me though that book is never going to recover, because well, would you want to to kill a mockingbird for you know four dollars free shipping from Amazon, you know uh, within a day prime or you know or you want me to do that plus three ninety nine shipping plus you know you got to wait for it and all the rest yeah, of that. Yeah, well, four dollars shipping would lose you money. So I think it's about if you sell, let's say that book for example for seven dollars FBA, I think you make thirty thirty cents payout, which depending on how you shipped it there and how much you paid and your labor, etc., that may or may not make you like fifteen cents, ten cents, or break even wow. or lose money. So seven bucks is like the threshold. But the thing is, is if you have to pay 50 cents to get a book destroyed, that means that now we can put it to like 50, you know, 80 cents less than that. So like six dollars and 20 cents would still probably save you a couple pennies versus paying 50 cents to get it destroyed. Wow. Um, which is probably what's going to happen. So. I am actually unsure like this month really sucks because I have to get my books in order and and get taxes done mm-hmm. and at the same time I have to trim what I already thought was a trimmed inventory which is like 15,000 items now I have to trim that down again and I imagine when the dust settles I'll probably only have 10,000 books at FBA um and really and dropping. Have, Oh yeah yeah and really just have to change change the uh the sourcing criteria so if we're going to sell it fba we have to it has to have a higher profit margin and um and a better rank and um you know and merchant fulfilling is like seriously in the question it's how i started um i personally don't want to do it i hate it i hate um because fba allows me to make the same or similar money up until recently yeah, without having to hire employees or have a warehouse. And like it's your team. Some, right. Some people live in, like Greg, for example, he lives in Ohio where he can get a warehouse for very cheap. I live in Santa Cruz, California. I cannot get a warehouse for very cheap, you know? If, for me to get a warehouse that's even affordable, I have to drive, you know, 30 minutes away from where I live. And to me, that's not why I own a business so that I can commute a half hour to and from work every day. That seems like a form of slavery to me. So Greg Murphy is who you were talking about, and he is a super mega bookseller. And he is, I don't know what percentage, I haven't talked to him this uh, in a few months, about what percentage of FBA he moved towards. And he's a huge merchant fulfill operation. But he also had a, a, a large FBA business. And... Do you see sellers like Greg and other because he's you know he's probably got a couple hundred thousand books online, but there are right. sellers much bigger than him. Right. Do you see them completely moving 
like you said, uh, there'll be an FBA category and everything else is merchant fulfilled. I mean, long tail books, you know, the, the real, you know, they're not going to be FBA pretty much anymore. Are they? I, I don't know. There's a couple arguments about it. So I think this change in pricing is going to have the largest effect on the very popular books right. that, um, have low margins of profit, one to $3 profit. And they have low ranks. I think those are going to be affected the most, right? Um, and they're honestly like my average sales price is, I believe, $14. And so um, those are a huge part of my business model. Books that sell between 8 and and $12 or even 8 and 10 right? So if I sell 200 books a day, probably 100 of them, I only made a couple bucks on each one, you know? And um, I do think that most people are probably going to have a, a uh, you know, if it's over $20, we send it to FBA. But I have yet to know or understand that will these books that take two years to sell, will people be merchant fulfilling them and then no one will be FBA them and then the FBA demand is still there because the customer wants that, but then the price will go up to and then it will actually right. be worth it to send them in still? Yeah, I have no one or idea. Two. Well, I think it's going to, if it does, it, it, that would be an evolution. It wouldn't happen overnight. It wouldn't be a faucet turned on, right? That would Definitely take time not. to catch up. But I agree with you. And so the other thing, I was thinking about this as I was planning for this call. You know, book demand has declined. I mean, that's a fair oh, yeah. statement, right? There's no question the book de- demand has declined. If you're this, you know, I'm, I'm an MBA and I used to be the CFO of many different companies. And these are the kind of things that would go through my head. I'd be sitting there saying, hmm, you know, we're looking at a declining business um, that, you know, we could squeeze more money out. And there's a, there's a, I have an idea how we could squeeze more money out. But it's a declining business. We only have so much room on our shelves. Should we look for businesses that are growing, not declining? And those businesses that are growing are blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what they are. They're ring doorbells, right? right? They're, they're technology right. stuff, right? Right. We could put that on our shelves because they're looking at profit per shelf space, I'm assuming, right? Any good finance person would, right? Whatever they have, right. whatever their commodity is, they're saying, hey, profit per square inch. We get more money. We used to be books, and that was the right. thing. Now, not so much because it's a well, declining business. I, I, think, I think more so it's just Amazon nudging us in the right way to say, Hey guys, we're not a storage. Right. We're not right. in the business of storage. Yep. We're in the business of selling stuff. We're a because if you, anal- if you, right. If you analyze the amount that we pay for a cubic foot of storage, it's not that much even per year compared to if we actually sell stuff, they make way more off of us. If you, if we sell stuff, right. Oh yeah. No, and I so agree. they still, they still want us to sell stuff, but over time they're getting more strict and more strict because they realize how people are gaming the system. Um, like you said, we're just like creatures of, of habit, right? We're going to do whatever is the least resistant yeah, to least what we want to yeah. do. And, um, and so they're just learning, you know, we're financially motivated. The sad part that I think about is a lot of these really big book companies that probably do not micromanage their Amazon account as well as they should it's going to take them a year before they realize, oh, crap, we've been paying way too much in fees. Yeah. And so that's going to affect the whole market. For like the next year, those low-margin, uh, good-ranking books are totally screwed. So so is the answer, you know, let's close it out on the books. What's the answer? I mean, what's, what's your plan? What, are, what have you uh, heard from like a Caleb and other booksellers? So it's so, two models. Certain dollar right. amount, adjust the dollars. This rank, this amount, boom. I I personally have already started not trying to send in books to FBA that I can't sell for at least $10. And if it doesn't have a, um, a sales count or a e-score of like five, uh, I'm, I'm concerned with it, especially if it's a lower, if it's only a $10 book, you know. If the e-score is five, which means it's sold five times in the last six months, but the profit is like $20, that makes me feel better versus the profit was only going to be a couple bucks, right? Um, But I definitely see there being a future for hybrid because a hybrid business model because books are so cheap. Like you said, people people have always been throwing books away, right? So you can get books for cheap. But you might need to get creative in the sense of like a renaissance brick and mortar type stuff to where 
I'm not saying you need to have a dollar bookstore like Jesse Forbes or Greg Murphy, but you could have maybe, you know, for example, where I live, it's like, it's, um, it's like liberal, creative, artistic community. Maybe I could open a retail storefront somewhere if I could find a good one and we would process FBA books in the back. But then, you know, most of the, it would be a bookstore, but like maybe it's also a cafe. So it's not just a bookstore. It's like a cafe, which I believe like there's synergy and I do love coffee and books. Um, so I'm not sure, but I think you're going to have to get much more creative as a bookseller in the future, especially because, and, and if you're a bookseller, you've known this for a long time. There's so many books you get for since, since before the fees were bad, you're like, okay, here's a book. I know people like this. I, I literally just saw someone reading this book, but you, you scan it and you can't make any money on it. That makes no sense because the bookstore has 20 copies on the shelf and they're selling it brand new for $16. So, you know, you could sell it used for like one to four dollars. You just have to have that hand to hand transaction. Right. Right. And. Um, yeah, I'm just not. I, I'm not I think you're spot sure. on. It's really it's uh, you just going to have to get creative or, or decide to, you know, maybe maybe you're only going to sell textbooks or whatever. But right. books books aren't going anywhere, um, at least probably for, I'd say, 10 to 20 years, because the. I personally think the textbook um, industry is going to probably have a shift to electronic books, e-books. Very soon. But at the same time, I think that they're going to have a huge problem that they don't foresee with, with piracy. And so one kid in the college is going to buy the book, and then he's going to just copy it to everybody. Right. So where they used to sell 500 copies per campus, they're going to sell five copies of digital books. And, you know... Yes, they make more money on each digital copy than physical copy because they don't have to transport or produce it. But the physical books is a way for them to control the the supply. And they also like the ebooks because it kills the secondary market. You can't there's no used ebook, right? So um but I think that will backfire and I know personally because I'm a reader, I have a Kindle. Half the time or seventy five percent of the time I go to pick up my damn Kindle, the battery's dead. And I want to read. I want to read right now. I'm going to the bathroom. I want to read. That's where I do most of my reading. And the Kindle's dead, so I grab a physical book. And so, and I, you know, I read to my daughter physical books. I think most people still like physical books. So I think uh, bookstores are probably a good idea for people who want to be in the book selling business. I think I think you're spot on. I think that you're going to see a resurgence of that comfortable bookstore, right? That place where it's an event. You go there. It's a destination. And, you know, don't don't miss out partnering with the right business. If you know of a good coffee shop that's hip, that has a good location, that has a good history because most of them fail, but if they make it, you know, don't be uh, afraid to cons consign with them, work out a relationship where I, I have a friend who sells vinyl records in a few different stores. He doesn't have a physical location. He doesn't need one because those stores happen to have that right clientele where that product matches. Don't right. be afraid of finding that coffee shop by you where they where you share fifty percent, fifty percent at sale. Whatever it sells for, they get half. Right. right. Well, I mean, if you think, think about that book. So I'm reading uh, Bill Riley's series, Killing All the Different Things. Right. And so these books are twenty six dollars right now. If I went to you know even on Amazon, these hardcover books, and you know I'm you can buy. There's somebody who would pay four or five dollars or six dollars for that book. And right. that, that coffee shop would love to make $3 on a product because guess what? You know, they're not getting that margin on a lot of stuff that they have on their shelves. So could be a win-win. Right. Well, I mean, we, we know that with what Amazon is doing to the consumer and training them, everything is shifting to online. It's just super convenient. And so I think the service industry is one of the only businesses that's actually safe from the, the Amazon Armageddon or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, like I wouldn't want to open a retail store, but, yeah, right. um, you know, obviously used books have a great margin, and, but I would not focus on it's a bookstore. I would focus on it's a community. It's a destination. Right. We got Wi-Fi and partnering with the service industry or having a dual business like in one, um, I think is very, um, uh, very attractive to me. Um, because, you know, you will pay people pay for that's what it, that's what online business is all about. You're paying for the convenience, right? You can make coffee at home or you can go to the cafe and pay someone else to make it for you. You're paying for convenience, right? You're saving time.
So um, if I had a bookstore, it would definitely not be just a bookstore. It would be a bookstore slash cafe, a bookstore slash cafe slash pizza parlor. Um, be- you know, I birthday might, house, all that kind yeah, of jazz. I, yeah, I, I might have you know uh, open microphone nights, you know, and that. have people poetry, come in and sure. read poetry or play music or whatever. Just anything that could provide. It's kind of like social media, but any way you could provide value to your community that would draw them in. And, you know, then maybe they pick up a couple books while they're there. I think uh, I think what you're describing is being creative. Um, I don't know if you know Andy uh, Slamins and I, he came into my warehouse. We extended my warehouse another 6,000 square feet. So now we're over 12,000 square feet combined, him and I. And that creativity allows us a lot of options. Um, like he'll be here there tomorrow. He'll bring some help in. And the work will shift and change. And yet he's not bound by it. You know, it's kind of like, you know, working together. Now, there's got to be a trust factor there. But I think that that creativity, you know, I was thinking about this today with somebody. I think this, tell me if this is a good idea. So you're a private label seller, right? And you're selling, I don't know, you're selling pretzel cups. I got my pretzels on the thing, right? And your pretzel <laughs> cups are great. However, you're buying them by the container. You're shipping them in from to Amazon from China directly. Now you say, uh-oh, what am I going to do? I can't really put them all there because now I'm looking at it's going to eat into my margin so much. I really don't want my own warehouse and blah, blah, blah. Well, what if you came to Steve and said, hey, Steve, I've got these things. Would you become a wholesaler of my product, right? So now I don't have to worry about my account getting shut down, right? That's a big plus, right? So if there's somebody else selling it, so if my account gets shut down, you, um, there's somebody else selling it. You agree to map, right? Oh, and though you've got to rent me space in your warehouse for my product, you know, or whatever. Get creative with that. And all of a sudden, because that's a deep relationship, that's a trust relationship. But from a couple points, once again, your account is safe. Your product is safe because Mike only had his account tied to it. Well, now he's got to give up a little bit, but he's bought insurance to make sure his product doesn't get shut down. Number two, he doesn't have to open up his own warehouse in California where it's, $20 $20 a square foot a year? I don't know what it would be, warehouse. 20 Yeah. Where, uh, I'm not really good at all that type of Okay, well, stuff. I just know you it's, come to mid, it's, mid, a, it's less than $5, you know, where we are, much less. And so you yeah, sit back and you say, there's a couple things. This is the creativity that needs to occur. And then again, you can outsource some functions, you know what I mean, by partnering up with the right people and stuff like that. So I think that that's the lesson, isn't it? I mean, it but we're back to being forced to do it, Mike. That's really yeah. the issue. Well, I I agree with you, and I actually have thought about trying to make a local coalition because I know several local sellers and us yeah. like all partnering in on a warehouse. And there is definitely trust issues, especially if you're a private label person, you know, and they they can't unsee your product, you know. Right. But there's um, contracts that can be signed. I mean, there are yeah, legal exactly. things you can do. And that, that's that's where I was going next. It was that, is that get your contracts in place. Like I've for my entire life, I've always been a handshake dude, and I recently had a an issue go down where um, it just it just went really bad, and I had to I had to remove myself from the partnership, and um, that business is still profitable, and it's essentially because of all the work that I did, and it's ongoing with recurring profit, and I just had to let it go, and I, I'm not even I might not get you know three or four months of my cut and we didn't have a contract and it's all in that person's name. And it's just, it's just terrible. So no matter what your deal is, it's your best friend, it's your mom, it's your brother, get a contract in place because I'm not saying you have to enforce a contract or sue someone or whatever. But when, when the S hits the fan, you know, you can say, Hey, we have a contract. And I think for most people that would, coalesce them into actually fulfilling their end of the deal versus just saying, you know, what are you going to do? Take me to small claims court, you know, and that's most likely not worth it in most scenarios. So just get your contracts. It's just bad on you. Even though, even if you're going to walk away, you're going to have a bad taste in your mouth forever. It's never going to feel right. If you didn't, if the agreement said, this is what happens when it's dissolved, let that happen. And then that's what happens. Then you can walk away saying, okay, that was the way it's supposed to happen. Yeah, I wish it didn't go there, but it was resolved and we went on, as opposed to feeling sick forever on it. All right, so let's close up. I want to know what you're doing now. You're outsourcing and outsourcing and outsourcing. You just were at a big seminar where you were a speaker, 
and you kept hearing from the really, really, really successful people, outsource, Michael, outsource, Michael. So what's yeah. next on your list? What's what's next? Um, so currently I am I am getting the uh, the merch by Amazon fully outsourced, so that will run itself, and that's going to scale out to other um, print-on-demand websites like Etsy with Printful or Redbubble, et cetera. T-Public. Uh, right, T-Public, et cetera. And also scaling our shoe business so we're going to have a couple remote buyers that are going to be buying shoes for us like on their own time and then just setting goals for me and my business partner like look we're going to each buy 100 pairs of shoes a week um, and then growing the account like that and then the new shiny object that I'm going to pursue is wholesale and private label so I think um, I'm going to pursue private label while my business partner pursues wholesale and that's, that's how smart. we're going to we're going to split it up and then just report back to each other. But at the same time, we have a couple of really creative ideas for uh, the future of books and how we're going to operate them. So I'm excited. Um, but I know that this year, you know, I'll be happy to make the same amount that we did last year. Obviously, I'm I want to go more, but it's just. I'm thinking more on like a three-year plan than yeah, this year right now. You're structuring it, though. You're structuring it. That, that outsourcing of that merch business, that's going to pay off for the next 20 years. But you got to go through the pain. That's the lesson, right? I mean, that's the real pain this year. Kind of you get stagnant because you got to pause, you got to fix this, and you got to set it in place. But once you nudge it going forward, it's like a snowball, right? It'll grow right. over time because it's not relying on you, which was the bottleneck, which is Steve the saying it to me, I'm the bottleneck, right? I mean, I right. get it. The funny thing to me is that merch by Amazon is very similar to books and how books used to be a long time ago. It's a portfolio game. It's yeah. all about having more designs, right? And the fixed the fixed rate fees are ridiculous. So like let's say let's say you have uh, a thousand shirts um, listed and you sell ten a day at five dollars profit a day. That's five. Uh, that's fifty dollars profit a day. Well, let's say now you have ten x that, right? Five hundred dollars profit a day. 10,000 shirts and I pay $4 a design for, um, for a shirt. But I also, I like, I merchandise them. I make, I get variations, right? So when it's all said and done, I'm probably paying, I'm paying like a dollar max per slot that's filled because there's, there's five garment types. Um, I'll do an inverted color version of each one, a distressed version. You know, it might even be less. It might be like 50 cents a design, right? So if I have 10,000 designs, I probably paid somewhere around $5,000. So that's insane to have a right. fixed rate cost of $5,000 that produces $500 a day. That's insane. Nothing that's can do best that. Best vending machine. There's not even a slot machine in Vegas that'll give you that. Exactly. Mm. Okay, Which is so, why I love merch so much. Well, and, and I get it, but you're still getting to do the best part of it, which is to manage it, really, and be creative and, and dip your toe in it, but yet you're not bound by it because the best thing I did was outsource it. And it's, she's 10 times better than I am. There's, I'm never was that good. And it's just a wonderful thing. So you also have a, a podcast, uh, uh, YouTube channel. Um, how, how often is that? Is that weekly? So every Monday at six Pacific and nine Eastern, I do a live show called Reezy talks. Um, previously it was just me talking Q and a live calls. And now I changed the format to where, I bring on other entrepreneurs and people that are successful in different fields to just talk about, you know, their world, their success, tips for other people interested in that. And it's mostly resellers, but I'm 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 anxious and hopeful to get out of that niche a little bit. You know, I've interviewed a crypto uh, currency person and next week's show, I'm actually um, interviewing a woman who makes a living doing couponing. Like in like her garages, you know, will be full of uh, diapers one day and then she sells them all at the flea market the next day for like a lot of money. But it's all it's all essentially free through the coupons, you know. Right, so right. Um, it's exciting for me to just, you know, to talk to other people doing different stuff and share that with people. Love it. All right. And that's six to nine Pacific time, correct? Um, it's, it's six, it starts at six Pacific or nine Eastern. And it's oh, okay. usually a, usually a two hour show. I do put them on my iTunes podcast, which you can check that out as well. It's a little bit behind. So, you know, the last episode I posted is probably seven shows ago. So if you want to be current, 
you get on YouTube, watch the live show where you can get your questions answered, or you can just catch it on the uh, iTunes, which I understand a lot of people don't have time to watch YouTube. I personally don't really watch much YouTube myself. I'm a podcast guy, which is why I love your podcast also. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, just I appreciate anybody that subscribes to my channel or, you know, listens or consumes any of my content in any way. It's it's really awesome to be able to, uh, like you said, to get messages from people that say, you know, thank you for this or for that. Like, I didn't realize ever how much that would affect me and how that would make me feel. But that has been able to to uh, to serve other people and provide value to other people has really changed my life. And I feel very fulfilled to be able to help others. Wait, you think about this. If somebody reached into your life at a young age when you were going through all your challenges, what could it have done for you then, right? And so to now have that opportunity, that's the way you got to think about it. You're reaching right. into people that you don't know how vulnerable or where they are in their life. As you know, some stories can get kind of crazy, right? You could relate. Yeah. And so that to me is the power. You never know who you're connecting with. The notes that you get are just, it's its its unbelievable. Um, and you're very giving. And I know you're not selling anything. You're just giving it away. And you're large on Instagram too. So I'm going to have links to your YouTube, um, your Instagram and everything. Dude, I, I appreciate it because I knew I needed a good bookseller who knew what they're talking about, who's looking at this objectively. Yes, this is tough. This is a challenge. However, this might be where the creative people, that why, whenever they make that left, might just take it to the next level. I mean, you don't sound uh, like the, your world is collapsing by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, definitely not. I'll find a way. But uh, just just like you were saying, man, um, you never know how you can how you can affect someone or how you can help them. Just today, uh, I opened a box that someone sent me, and inside the box was a copy of Gary V's new book. And I was like, okay, cool. I already have three copies of this book. I'm literally giving it away. But then I opened it up, and there was a letter inside of it, and it's signed by Gary V to me directly. And it's one of my followers. They drove out to his book signing and they had the thoughtfulness to have him sign a book directly to me. And then they mailed it to me. So it's like that kind of made my day today. That's the uh, hair on the arms of my leg. My arms are standing up. Oh, man, you give uh me the chills. That's that's incredible. Think about that. It's a very powerful thing, dude. All right. I'm inspired. I'm ready to go. Reezy Talks Mondays, 6 p.m. Pacific. That means it's on 9 o'clock Eastern time when us old guys go to bed, but I can catch it the next day too. Michael, man, I appreciate it so much. Um, I'm going to – I guess that's the best way to get you too, right, is on YouTube or do you want – do you have a uh, better place for so them to con- contact you? You, guys, you can email me, resells at gmail.com. If you guys uh, want to – you can call me, 209-83-REASY, and I'll answer the phone and help you out with whatever you need help with. Um, obviously that's dependent on my availability or, um, send me a DM on Twitter or Instagram. That's probably the quickest way to get a hold of me, but, uh, I'm here for you guys. Man, I appreciate it. Dude, I'm so glad we get to catch up. Uh, can't wait to see you again. Hopefully I'll catch up with you later this year. I I wish you nothing but success. I'm, I'm inspired. I'm ready. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. All right. Peace. Nice talking with you, Steven. You too. Told you. How could you not be pumped after talking to him? I'm literally jazzed. I'm going to go out there and I'm just, my my family will look at me like, what is wrong with you? Go to decaf. But you can't talk with somebody like that who's just so enthusiastic, who's just so passionate about what he does. How could you not get inspired hearing those stories about, hey, I'm going to be home with my six-year-old because that's where I need to be. I'm giving up all these other things. Yeah, it forced me, but you know what? There's a lesson there. Man, oh man, I'm telling you. Love it, love it. Make sure you check him out. Reezy Resells, Reezy Talks on Monday, 6 uh, Pacific um, on YouTube. I'll probably be in bed because that's 9 o'clock my time, but I'll catch it the next day. EcommerceMomentum.com, EcommerceMomentum.com. Hey, don't forget what's going on with Seller Labs and Scope. It is unbelievable right now, these keywords and, and how you really need to focus in on them, right? So you got to get your stuff selling faster. When's the last time you went back and took a look at your number one competitor to see what keywords they're using? Because guess what? If they're a larger seller, they've got a lot more resources than you do, but you've got scope. 
right? If you don't, you're missing it. Sellerlabs.com forward slash scope. Use the code word momentum. Save 50 bucks, but more importantly, get your stuff selling faster. Avoid those fees. Just get it selling faster. Ecommercemomentum.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the e-commerce momentum podcast. All the links mentioned today can be found at ecommercemomentum.com under this episode number. Please remember to subscribe and like us on iTunes.